You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm having a cup of tea with Robert and talking about adopting siblings as a single adopter. Hiya, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. You? I'm absolutely fine. I'm very impressed that as a single adopter with two children, you've managed to find time for this. You said you've shipped <laughs> them off somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, I've used that elusive um, network of people to to kind of farm <laughs> them off to for a couple of hours. So, yeah, they're probably eating loads of sweets somewhere. <laughs> oh, that, that's fantastic. Whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely yeah. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So um, I know that you said that they've been with you for a year and a half. Can you sort of talk about before that you know how did you get to that point summarize that bit for me and then we'll talk about what it's like caring for two children by yourself okay so yeah the 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 starting point for me was lockdown really and the covid and the pandemic and I've been single for about four years and what was my life all about you know lots of people had those kind of moments and so I thought I'd start the process and see how it went for me and um, always thought, well, I can always, you know, if I'm going through the process and I feel it's not right, then at least I tried. But actually what I found was that over time, it just, those, those feelings became stronger. And I think the assessment process is really good in the fact that it, it's punctuated with big pauses so that you've got time to really reflect on the last session and kind of think about what that means for you. So, yeah, so I got to the stage where I was set, probably thinking more about adopting a, a little boy, um, always thinking around for three, four years of age. And then kind of the conversation around siblings came around with the social worker. And I'd said to her, no, don't let me get carried away. You've got to be my critical friend. I can't be seeing little photos of two lovely little children. And then, you know, I'm a single adopter. I can't do it. And she kind of started to talk me through maybe some of the benefits. Um, And so then I thought, right, okay, I'll remain open-minded. Talked to some friends that had got siblings and they were very much advocates. A couple of people were quite, oh, are you sure? And I said, well, you know, I'll know when I know. So I kind of trusted my instincts and trusted my gut. And uh, yeah, uh, that's when one day on Link Finder, I got a notification. These two little faces popped up. That's fantastic. So tell me about that moment that you first saw these two faces. Like, Where were you? How did you feel? All of that. So I was, uh, so I'm a teacher and I was uh, just had first break after teaching two periods and the notification had popped up, looked at the profile, logged into Linkmaker really quickly, had a little look. I saw these two faces. I was like, oh, okay. And I had that feeling you, lots of people tell you and listening to this podcast and, and lots of other podcasts and the reading that I've done that, you know, when you know, you know, and I thought oh, that, that, that's silly that happened. Uh, and it totally did happen but what I thought was okay I'm going to be sensible I won't inquire straight away I will wait until uh, the evening and then what happened was uh, by the time school had finished I'd had a message from their social worker. Wow that's a quick turnaround. Yeah so I hadn't so somehow our paths had crossed and we, we'd, we'd both been looking at each other's profiles kind of thing and and that wow. was where it came about so I went, oh, okay, maybe the stars are aligning if you believe in all of that. And very quickly, there were a flurry of emails. And within about 10 days, I think she was here at my house kind of doing the potential match. That's so fast. And so it sounds like prior to that, although you were open to siblings, you hadn't definitely decided on siblings. Absolutely not. No, I was kind of very much dependent on who the child was really and whether the match was right 
um and and it really it was the social worker that had kind of talked me around some of the benefits of of having a sibling pair and I'd also considered my age so um I was you know I'm 48 this year and I kind of thought oh I know the relationship I have with my siblings would I want a sibling for if I adopted one child mm-hmm. and then I thought that's going to take me into 50 and then am I getting too old and yeah. obviously I've paused the idea of a relationship so I was thinking kind of practically you know I don't want to be on my own forever yeah. And so I started to think of all of those and then the benefits of obviously, um, you know, adopting, you know, two. They're very, very close. They're only 14 months apart. Um, wow. Yeah, that is close together, isn't it? Yeah. And then as I talked more to the social worker and really confided in her about my fears and kind of, you know, kind of um, and the questions, we had a very open conversation, kind of started to feel it was right. But no, it wasn't fixed. That's interesting. and. Again, just you said the social worker talked about the perks and the benefits of adopting siblings, and I guess probably some of the potential risks and drawbacks as well. What were they saying to you at that stage? Because I'm interested to later ask you, did that match up? Well, they talked about, I mean, they were quite honest. They talked about the fact that siblings were harder to place, but they'd also talked about the benefits for me that, you know, by coming together, they've got a bond that, you know, there is that, that the I had talked about whether I would want to adopt again later and, and about the idea of being able to go through the process once now that would be a really kind of beneficial thing to do especially at my age they talked about the fact that actually the relationship that the two children together had would be really that link for them um, would then help with the attachment with me um so yeah I mean I can't I can't really remember all the specific details I just kind of I think she asked me to be open to the idea and to to kind of not be closed off to it which I kind of at the moment was like absolutely not but yeah um more talking to friends that had siblings they said well you know they they can keep each other company there's you know there's that you can see that the fun that they have together you can there's not such um kind of reliability on you all the time so when you are a sole parent um you know and if it was one-on-one it can be very very intense Mm. and that maybe sometimes that would give you a little bit of freedom which I never thought thought about does that make sense what I'm talking about yeah Yeah, that does make sense and I didn't adopt siblings, but I do have three children. And so, yeah, there is a thing about the number of them is challenging, but there are points at which they are there for each other. And there are times when, you know, we've been away or something and when they're playing together, I'm glad that I'm not the one having to, I mean, obviously I love building sandcastles and stuff and it is lovely. The first 19 that you build, they're really fun. And, you know, the 27th and the 104th, they're, you know. So um, I guess sometimes I look at them, I'm glad to watch them play and I'm glad not to have to be the one in that moment, you know, buying a pretend cup of tea from a pretend cafe sort of thing. So Absolutely. Um, did the social worker back then talk about, I guess one of the downsides that we hear about a lot of adopting siblings is about not all sibling relationships are healthy relationships. And I wonder, did they go into that at that stage with you? Not in a huge amount of detail, I have to I have to be honest. And and again, I think my, my memory my memory you know kind of lets me down here. I 
I think it was taking each sibling pair on its merits, being really careful. Yeah. They said that they, you know, they would work with me really closely on unpicking the the, the CPR, is that what it's called? I think it was. Yeah, so the child, yeah, child permanency report. Mm-hmm. And then looking for gaps there or kind of picking up on something that's mentioned that I might miss and, and being able to kind of make sure that that sibling pair was the right sibling pair for me. So it wasn't just go for a sibling pair. It was very much, and but it's got to be right for you and your your family dynamic um but I do yeah I do think hugely as a sole parent trying to do everything because that is what you do um when the, there are those moments when they are playing with huge amounts of lego or um they're being um what were they this morning they were being uh, rabbits and guinea pigs along the landing and in their bedroom um <laughs> that it allows me to do the other things like put a load of washing on or yeah. get in the shower myself so there are real practicalities around it that really kind of benefited me I think I think that's really great I guess um because some of the people who listen to this might be thinking about siblings themselves it's worth perhaps me just saying at this point for those people listening that one of the things that people talk about with adopting siblings at the same time is to make sure that you've got good information about the nature of that relationship, which yeah. is what you're saying. And um, so, for example, in a household where there's been neglect, sometimes an older sibling can have had to parent, in quotes, a younger sibling. Um, so, for example, you might have a four-year-old that's been trying to provide food for a two-year-old, and it can mean that the dynamic between those two doesn't resemble a usual sibling relationship it is a reflection actually of the trauma and of the neglect and so on. So I want to just throw that in as we're talking because it's something for people to consider as well and to ask questions about those trauma-bonded siblings. And, and I think it's definitely about be, reading between the lines on the CPR. You know, they are, they are, there's a lot of information there. And, you know, my, the, the family dynamic for, for, my, for my two boys was that they have an elder sibling and a younger sibling so I had to kind of ask questions around that dynamic and how that would work and about contact and some of the things I was quite intuitive about and w- was able to to kind of um, unpick myself and ask those questions but others I, I you know you have to it's about having that really good relationship with your social worker to be able to trust in their kind of expertise to find some of those and ask some of those more pressing questions that you've talked about as well about that family dynamic yeah absolutely so but back to your personal story so yeah. you'd you'd found them on Linkmaker within very very quick amounts of time you'd got a social worker sitting in your kitchen I guess and um so from there what happened next so uh, after the social worker came there was a um a child appreciation day so I went to the area that they came from um and and, and uh, it was a mixture of that and teams meetings because it was just coming out of obviously the pandemic so a lot of stuff had moved to teams and so i kind of met with the the medical practitioners i met with um send professionals because my eldest has got dld uh, which is deficit language disorder uh, which comes from the neglect um which he experienced in his early life and went to the their primary school and met their teachers um, met their main social worker because I'd been working with the family finder, um, going to meet the foster carer um, and kind of, yeah, kind of rubber stamping everything really and kind of making sure that that match was the right one. It did move very quickly. And I think if I had my time again, I might have slowed things down a little bit. I think they were very keen to make the match and move it on. 
and what I learned in practice was that maybe the work that my children had been done with my children around the three houses so understanding why they were moving to the next stage and me as their their daddy had maybe been not as um, comprehensive as it might have been that's really interesting and yeah I think with hindsight sometimes we can see those things but I can understand why at the time you just go with the flow don't you You get swept up and off you go and and I think I'd been really hurt by a couple of I'd had a, a couple of I've had about four no's not with siblings or with individual children um prior prior to these to my boys uh, arriving as it were and it's it, you feel such a huge amount of loss when when because you see these photos and you read about them and you invest and you get a flurry of emails and then suddenly it's a no yes. and you're not necessarily given information and you I felt loss that's the only way I can yeah. describe it I felt real loss and 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 kind of is it me is it something I've done it's a really strange feeling and I became quite obsessed with finding a match and I think that's a hindsight thing to be able to go you know don't rush you know don't feel kind of you know that it, it has to go at your pace that works with for you and for the child or the children in my instance so um yeah they, they kind of very much wanted it all done and dusted before a certain period because a social worker was leaving yes yeah I can a lot of that rings a bell I know what you mean about becoming invested as you're looking at different children there was a child that Jackie and I looked at and we felt like we would have been a very good match for that child for lots of reasons the child had a medical condition that Jackie and I had a lot of experience of and so we felt like we could have cared for that child really well and we pushed and pushed and pushed and we couldn't get them to bite they were not interested with us then after we'd been matched the child that was our son they actually rang us and said that the first child's match had fallen through would we consider him and we had to say no we've been linked you know that's it's the ship has sailed essentially but I think about him and I think you know I hope he found his forever family and stuff and obviously it worked out and we have the son that we have and I'm delighted but I do wonder about that child and think I hope he's okay and then there was another child at the time when we were looking who was too old for us because we had to adopt younger than our youngest existing child so we couldn't have looked at him but at the time there were magazines so physical magazines of children rather than link maker which didn't exist back yes. then and this child had a really unusual name and he was in there month after month after month after month. And there's a child who comes to our summer camp with that name. And I don't know if it's him and it's not appropriate <laughs> for me to ask if it's him, but I do hope it is because that child has a family and seems to be thriving and would be about the right age. And I very much hope that that child is the one that I used to see who was just waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, Cause that would be a kind of a nice thing to know that that child ended up somewhere nice too. Um, so yeah, but so, so, so back to your story from that little segue. Um, so all of that sounds like, you know, it was all going ahead in a galloping way and things. And I guess then you started introductions at some point. So how did that go? And over what time period were you doing it? So so I did, I, I, the first thing I did is just before Christmas, I'd done a, they call it like a, a walk by or something like that. I can't remember what the, the oh, phrase is. Bump into a bump, yeah, but, and it was, okay, you're not allowed, to, you're not allowed to kind of talk to them or see them, but <laughs> foster carer is going to be in this kind of wacky warehouse type place. And we're just going to sit over on the side 
and we're just going to watch and it's just the <laughs> oddest it's just the oddest thing in the world because you just feel like it's like there's something seriously wrong here and I was like I was saying to the, the, the family finder like the, I feel really weird and uh, the, the the foster care their foster care who was amazing like had them the whole time which which was kind of hugely beneficial I think in terms of the transition but she was like typical like <laughs> she did what she wanted to do in the nicest possible and she was like oh just come over and kind of <laughs> kind of broke with all protocols and um my eldest who they thought wouldn't kind of because of his language his DLD m- may not um, kind of communicate particularly well kind of just seemed totally enamored with me and I had a beanie hat on and he wanted to wear my beanie hat and then when we left they both held my hand and I was like oh I'm not sure we should be doing all of this but you know sometimes these things happen for a reason so yeah. they did but then Christmas happened and I was like oh you know oh. I, I can't you know I've, I've met these children they don't know I'm going to be their daddy and it hasn't even yeah. been rubber stamped but clearly they are um and so I had to go through Christmas and but we did have a few messages and then the actual introductions I went for the first day to the foster carers house well before that we did all the I did the book and the I did snap cards with all their new family's photos um and a jigsaw and sent all that up but then on Valentine's Day uh, was the day that I knocked on the door at the foster carers house and they knew that I was going to be their daddy and it started Oh, that's so nice. Oh, it sounds like you really felt their absence at Christmas, like they should have been there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, oh. um, I, I can't, it's quite emotional thinking about it because I take myself back to it. And, you know, I remember waking up on Christmas Day and thinking, you know, this time next year, this is going yeah. to be different. And boy, was it different. <laughs> 4, 4, 4.30 in the morning, I was like, <laughs> That's when Christmas starts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we we did about a 10 day um, kind of introductions. Um, so a week in, in where they lived and then the, they transferred down to here. And I think it can take up to two or three days before they stay for the first night. And mm-hmm. so, but they, they stopped at the other first available opportunity. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm a very, very lucky man. That's so, so nice. What was it like then when you'd done the intros and you'd done that period of, you know, with them spending more time with you each day and that first time when you shut the door and intros were over and now they're with you, how was that first bit for you? By the time, and I don't want to speak disparagingly of the foster care at all, but I think by that stage you get to a point where you're like, okay, let me just do it. You know, like I, I need you to go almost. Yeah. But then, yeah, I don't think I slept properly for the first three or four nights. So, you know, how many times I went into their bedroom, I don't yeah. don't know. But they slept every single night straight through. And I think that's the benefit, again, of having siblings. So I've, you know, I've got, I live in a, a kind of an Edwardian terrace and we've only got, two, there's only two bedrooms. So they, they do share. Yeah. And actually that would be something, even if you've got more rooms, I think there is something in them being in the same room together that helps them settle. They feel secure yes um but yeah it was just I, th- I suppose I kept going in and I could see that they were asleep and I was pleased with that and I was like oh this is it like you know there's, there's almost even though you've gone through the whole process you go 
oh yeah this is for life isn't it <laughs> i remember that so well this unrealness of yeah oh i'm an actual grown-up now as well it's like i'm a parent what the hell yeah and then just realizing that you're absolutely exhausted like i barely looked after myself and now i've got to yeah. you know but of course you do you just you just um adapt because you have to these two little people you know want you need you and you want to be you know you've been given I always call it a real privilege people Mm. have called me being really brave for adopting (laughs) siblings and that really annoys me and I know I know it's meant with the best of intentions but I'm not brave I've been given this wonderful privilege and I love every single day of it as much as much as it's exhausting and shattering and frustrating uh, the overwhelming joy that it gives me is um yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. So, yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. And so I'll ask you maybe some day-to-day stuff, I guess, because if you are the sole carer, then everything is you. Yeah. Um, so I'd be interested in what your support network looks like kind of practically, because obviously we all have our support network explored, but there's support and support, isn't there? There's, you know, And I guess I'm also just interested in day-to-day how you cope when the demands are many. Okay, so I did go back to work full time. I had yeah. originally requested with the local authority if they could maybe find some way to support me to go four days. Um, helpfully, they said it was a lifestyle choice, but okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I did. I, I stayed off for just over six months. Um, mm-hmm. I had a very supportive work when I went back, but I did go back full time. And it is fairly relentless at times, but I think routine is the key thing and sticking to that routine. I think have um you know kind of we have and and then learning and then constantly reviewing about kind of what works and what doesn't work and then changing so don't stick to a routine for the sake of it but kind of using that time at night when they're asleep for you to go okay so what how did that go today if that didn't go so well why didn't it go so well and I think that's that's something that I did quite intuitively I think using your support network is important but one of the people you interviewed um, that I listened to the podcast when I was in the assessment process, they were asked for a piece of advice and they said, take your support network that you identify at assessment, cut it in half um, <laughs> and then and then shave a little bit more off. And, yes. and I would say that that absolutely is the case. And that's not because people don't care. It's just because people have lives. They're full-time parents yes. themselves. They've got work. I My parents are older and I think it surprised my mum in particular that she couldn't quite have them for as long as she thought she might yes because she's in her mid-70s and you know and having two little children running around is quite exhausting for her but um I think what what I managed to do is in the week have a very tight routine and at the weekend kind of loosen it up a little bit try not to have too many plans Yes. Um, and have family time and, and you know not being afraid to just say do you know we're gonna have a cinema day today or we're gonna have a movie day we're just gonna stay in our pajamas you know and kind of not all the time but that gives you breathing space as a parent I think that you're not getting them dressed and get bundling them into the car and going over yeah. to grandma's and then going over to this friend and then going to a park and then going swimming and then you realize you haven't had a weekend as well um, yeah. so I think that was really important for me and that's taken me a long time to work out so I reckon so the start of this six weeks holiday um because I'm off with them at the same time for the first sort of like week and a half we've done very little 
other than go yes. go local and stay home and make things or play or they've done that and I've had some you know relaxing time myself um so yeah and then use your support network when you do need them like to do this podcast today <laughs> <laughs> thank you to your support network yeah I, I agree with that I think pajama days are an absolute godsend and oh. honestly by the time we'd got three kids if no one needed to be dressed nobody was dressed you Absolutely. know we just didn't bother because because why and so pajamas are you know what my kids thrive in at home you know it's like fine um so that that took a load of pressure off I know that some people some people kind of thrive on doing things doing more stuff so you know things like all the kids have a bath at seven o'clock and all the kids are and all and I just don't bother with any of that I just let them be grotty and you know it's fine so um I don't know I think it's just different methods of coping I think I found that being easy on all of us helps a lot. So I recognise that sort of concept of those easier weekends. And also, yeah, very, very low-key activities. And it took us ages to realise that. You know, if we weren't at a theme park or something, I thought we weren't having fun. But yeah. actually, you know, you can say to them, right, we're all collecting leaves, and then we're going to stick them on a photo frame or something, and then we've made a picture. And it can be sort of so low-key, and they just love it. And, and you know... The- from the perspective of a sibling pair, actually, you know, from a financial perspective, you know, feeding them isn't, you know, kind of between one and two isn't isn't a huge amount. But like doing all of those things and playing for admission to three lots of swimming and three lots of movies and three lots of, you know, theme parks. And, and actually, some of, sometimes my boys are happiest when they're colouring in or we're all lying and having a family cuddle and watching watching a movie you know yeah, which, yeah. and sometimes I get a little 10 minute nap in as well <laughs> nice. you know you need a pair of glasses that looks like you've got your eyes yeah, open yeah you really. exactly let's all just lie down and and we'll watch this film <laughs> we used to um if it was rainy outside I'd do them a treasure hunt in the house so I'd get like 10 slips of paper and I'd hide them around the house kind of backwards you know so I'd start with the last ones so I could then hide them in reverse and it all worked out and fine but I'd make it so that one clue led to one end of the house and the other clue led to the next, the other end of the house and then back again and back again. And the point was to run them ragged and tire them out, but within the house. So it'd yeah. be like, you get wet here in the morning and so up they go to the shower mm-hmm. and then it's like, right, and the cat eats its food here and then downstairs they go again and then it's like, you sleep here and upstairs they'd run again. And just running off some steam within the house, Absolutely. they can go end to end to end and that used to kind of work a bit as well. And that works, but also kind of the things that you need to do as an adult, you know, to be an adult, like, God, um, like cleaning the car, right? Mm. So, you know, hoovering the car or something. I mean, I know you can take it to somewhere if you want to, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll just get the little handheld and I'm like, right, I'm going out, who's coming to help? And, yes. you know, they love it. Then we all do it as a family and I might give them a bit of pocket money or we'll have a treat afterwards. Um, like in the garden, if I'm going out in the garden and we've got plants to pot, then they'll you know my eldest loves it and loves snails and slugs and I can't bear them the amount of times he's walked in in a handful in the back into the back into the kitchen I'm like out <laughs> like, um, your face is a picture while you're saying you know, that. it's horrendous like it's just my worst nightmare and I'm like have you washed your hands have you washed your hands it's like my work you know and he's just absolutely covered in mud yeah. um and actually just get over you know just allow it and and then you're, you're kind of getting life done but they're part of it if that makes sense yes yeah I know exactly what you mean I think that's really really nice and yeah you're right they do love all of that sort of thing and so and you said you've had to go back to work full-time so like how are you topping tailing childcare at either end of the day and stuff 
So I have huge guilt. That's where I mean, what I always say is there's parenting guilt. So everybody has parenting guilt. And then you have parenting guilt and you have adoptive parenting guilt on top of that. (laughs) Because, you know, you're like, oh, they've had early life trauma. And now I'm sending them to breakfast club every morning. Um, And and the reality is, is lots of children, unfortunately, in this day and age have to go to breakfast club. And actually, my boys really love it. Um, (laughs) They don't like like some of the breakfast, but they like being with their friends. So, yeah, they they uh, my my parents have picked them up from school one day a week yeah um but the rest of the time it is wraparound care um but luckily being a teacher some days that means I can pick them up at half four so you know there are little balances there um would I like to be able to pick them more more you know up from school more often of course at the normal time and meet them at the the door with their teacher but I think you have to move beyond that and see what everything else you give them you know and and you know we have the most you know and what what I do is for, whereas in the week we probably don't get an, an inordinate amount of time together at the weekend I don't look at my email I don't do any work nothing gets done then it, it's me and the boys yes um yeah, and you know we we whether it's we're going to their football on a Saturday morning to whether we're having a pajama day to whether we're going for lunch if we get an invite to lunch on a Sunday, that's brilliant because it means I haven't got to do it. Um, they love a curry. So, um, so you know, um, uh, that's one of my favourite things to eat. So, like, we'll go and have a, a curry and they love the poppadoms and they have all the spicy food. They're just, you know, so we just have that quality time in the weekend and that takes some of that guilt away that I have in the week. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, you just talking about eating curry together and things like that. You know, um, you mentioned that uh, before we started that your children are, have a different heritage and cultural background to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Can you say a bit about that? Um, yeah, it was. Um, I was I was always very open to the idea of, you know, it was about the child and, 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 and nothing else. And I'd had some specific um, concerns around my ability as a single parent to to adopt a child with um a lot of additional needs um because i felt like you know i wouldn't have the capacity to maybe to to give that child what they would need but in terms of you know come from a diversity perspective it didn't it didn't really bother me um but that they were very, they were very interested because of where I, I live in a big city you can probably tell from my accent um but uh, very multicultural that I think that helped me get the match yeah. because they go to a very inclusive school you know so they see people of all cultures and, and skin colors and backgrounds um in, in school and it's celebrated yes and then kind of like that they can be exposed to a whole range of different kind of opportunities in you know the local park at the moment is is celebrating that the, the Mela festival um or it's coming up i think is it next weekend um i think that's for um i think that's a, a a hindu festival i think um but you know we can go to all manner of things that maybe in a very provincial town we might, might not get yes. um i'm aware of you know i've bought some books that are around identity so there's a lot out there if you do your research and your social workers should be able to kind of give you names of and, and I've, we kind of talk about those and just trying to find trying to find faces or characters in stories that they will be able to identify with even not on an explicit level like implicitly 
So, yes. you know, children that look like them in the stories that they read. Yeah, and as the hero of the stories as well, which never happens, does it? You know, in, in most mainstream kids' TV shows and so on, the main character is a white boy and every other character supports his adventures. And that's that's the role of the girls and the black kids and, and, and in those TV shows all the time. Yeah. And yeah, I found it quite hard for my kids to find main characters that were either girls or black and or both. It just really really difficult to find i'm reading a book at the moment um called why i'm no longer talking to white people about race oh. and it's really really interesting have you read that i haven't read that one but my friends just sent me one by is, is it by the same there's a, a, an author called akala i can't remember the name of the author i can look it up and we can put it in the program notes for this i can't remember um i'm reading it i've got another one but i've not read it yet which is called white fragility so that's apparently a very well-known book as right. well but i've not got to that one yet so um what's well, so, so interesting my friend i mean she's wonderful but she'd like highlighted me key bits of this book because we were talking when i'd seen her last time and she's actually coming on the camp with, with um with us and um she was on about you know we were talking about the fact that i will never um, know the experiences that my children may have because of their skin yeah. color or the prejudice they may face yeah. and how do I prepare them for that when I've yeah. not experienced it myself so all about white privilege really and so yeah there's a there's a lot more reading to do and realizing that you know how how do I protect them or how do I educate them I think that's the most important thing yeah and and that instinctive knowledge because I know that you know when Jackie and I go to places she will instinctively say the reason that just happened is because of my skin color, because of her skin color. Right. And um, and sometimes I will have spotted that, and other times I won't have. And again, that's privilege because I haven't had to have that radar on for why am I being treated this way. And I think that thing of that instinctive knowledge about, yes, this is why that's happening. Let's not be naive at all about exactly what's going on here. Um, and so, yeah, it's... it's um, it is interesting and I think it does bring you face to face with well that's actually a really rubbish sentence that I've just come up with I'm going to say <laughs> brings you face to face with what you haven't had to face so if you can unpick that sentence and make any sense then you know it, it makes perfect sense and I think some of it is around unconscious bias so so sometimes the things that people say will be will be, will be that unconscious but and then and then it's it's very um almost subtle that that you may miss and like you say your partner wouldn't and yeah. and and how I navigate that for my children at such a young age and then how I help them to navigate that themselves the only thing I think is a benefit is being part of the LGBTQ plus community yeah ourselves we are sometimes victims of that unconscious bias mm -hmm. that something happens in a particular way or someone feels comfortable uncomfortable by something by something we've said because because they don't feel comfortable comfortable with us and our sexuality or our identity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly think that we can go into that with an empathy for difference and an empathy for outsiderhood and all of those things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I guess you have to be really honest with yourself about where does that empathy, how far does that empathy get you and where does that just run out? And, you know, and it's that thing, isn't it? Listen to the people who know, listen to the people who've got the lived experience and trying to find those resources and, you know, be thinking, right, how do I start to hear this, these life experiences that I don't have and stuff? So, yeah. I think, yeah, the, I think the big thing for me is that, you know, that there is lots that I will never be able to prepare them for. Like any, any parent can only prepare children for so much. But what I 
constantly have with them and the same about as they understand their own identity and their as an adopted child and about what that means so my eldest one is just making sense of certain things and I always just tell him you can ask daddy anything you can you know nothing is is you know nothing can can be unsaid you know we 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 say we say how we feel if you want to share something with me you can and it's kind of keeping that kind of really open dialogue so that they feel like they they are loved and they are safe and they are cared for and then you can build on everything else yeah I think that that really does sum up you know the best that we can all do in all of the things that our kids face definitely yeah so I love the way that you framed adopting siblings as a soul carer as such a positive experience because you know you said people joke with you all the time about what did you say that they say that you must be crackers or brave? No, no, no they, they they say they say in in the most in in the most lovely way, and it's meant yeah. in the in the in, in, you know in a really lovely way, which is that I'm very brave. What a brave thing you've done! What a what a wonderful you know kind of almost like I'm a knight in shining armor, um, <laughs> and I kind of. I cha- I challenge it in a very nice way and I say I'm I'm not brave. It's an ap- and I just use that word privilege. Yes, I think that's lovely. So for people out there thinking about it, and particularly for soul carers or prospective soul carers who are thinking about could they take siblings? Let's hear your advice. I think it's like you've said about knowing the relationship between the two children, asking the right questions. Being, you know, be, being um, realistic about about your own your own ways. So I am someone that's kind of routine driven and I'm quite organised. And you know, I think you you kind of have to have that to juggle two children, <laughs> even more than one. You know, the financial stability has to be there in some capacity. You know, one of the things is that even though I thought I was on a pretty decent salary, it doesn't go as far as you think. <laughs> um and and Those kind of expensive. That, yeah and what it, it's things like you know we went on holiday they went on the plane on, on a plane for the first time in in may f- for a wedding and we had the most incredible time but you're like my taking them in the school holidays that's expensive um <laughs> but so i think it's been you know it's it it's not undoable but you know in, in this day and age with the cost of living it's just just doing your sums and doing your budgets and being sensible and not kind of getting too carried away about you know, making sure that you can bring these two little people into your world, into your family, and make sure that you can provide for them. Not give them everything, but kind of just provide them with, you know, that you're not feeling like they're being denied stuff, so that you're giving them the opportunity. You can afford to take them and have, not necessarily go on a plane, but you can you can take them on trips to explore different things. I like, you know, I love that to take them to new places and see things that they'd never seen before, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that's really lovely. And I think as well, you know, at this time where everybody's kind of stretched financially, you can take them to the next village and they've not seen it before, you know, and you can take them to the woodland up the road and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And I think you're right, that thrill of new experiences with them is really nice. Yeah. But you don't want to be in a position where you just feel like you're totally scrimping and saving. And I think there has to be a re- realistic element to that, because mm-hmm. if you're feeling that puts extra stress on you and what you need to be able to do is give your attention particularly in those early years to that attachment with those children and it has to be on them and not going you know I was fortunate I was kind of sensible and made sure I'd save some money up beforehand and so I had some something behind me to be able to um kind of have a kind of a a catch-all pot if you if you want a better phrase um but 
yeah and use 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 your social worker and trust your social worker and ask you know the cpr tells you it gives you lots of information but just make sure that you kind of read between the lines as well and kind of and don't be afraid to ask sometimes really challenging questions to make sure that it is absolutely the right match um but ultimately i think you you'll know i'm just look i keep i keep looking up from the screen because and and i can see them sat looking on me on the mantelpiece so oh that's nice <laughs> just make they just make me smile so i can see i can see just how proud you are and how happy you are it's oh proud yeah pr- yeah proud is absolutely one of them yeah so oh well congratulations on it all i'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled and uh we will be seeing you at summer camp i hear absolutely i yeah, can't wait four nights let's hope it doesn't rain the whole time because last Definitely year it was glorious guaranteed no rain or your money back kind of (laughs) don't say that on here (laughs) listen thank you so much for joining me it's been really really nice to chat to you thank you and you thank you ever so much i'd like to thank my guest today robert if you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends follow us on twitter at lgbt adopt foster and on facebook search new family social all one word visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.